Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Good morning. My name is Kevin Maurice, and I'm the associate youth pastor here at Grace. And for the past two and a half years, my wife Kate and I have been blessed to be a part of this church. It's a joy and a privilege to be able to serve this body of Christ. Today, Pastor Matt has allowed me to teach on something that I find very interesting. Communication. Communication is a central part of our lives. Communication is the key to understanding. And in a lot of ways, communication is how we express our humanity. In fact, the history of human civilization can actually be studied as the history of how people have communicated with one another over time. Spoken languages, stone tablets, scrolls of papyrus, letters carried on foot and then by horseback, even sent off with pigeons. The ability that we have to communicate is no small feat. And this ability has changed the course of mankind. We take this for granted in a day and age where we can send emails and videos with the swipe of our fingers. But there was a time not all that long ago when the greatest technological marvel for human beings to communicate was this sound. Morse code. A series of dots and dashes that most of us only know from seeing it on film or learning it for a merit badge. As a means of communication, Morse code is effective, but only if you can interpret it. There is a message there, no doubt, but one that must be decoded. And there were certainly plenty of misunderstandings. Because to the average person, those dots and dashes mean very little. Only to the trained ear would they make sense. And in the 1800s, this is how people communicated at long distance. It was simply all that they had. But at the turn of the 20th century, a man named Reginald Fessenden developed a vision for something greater. In 1903, he created the technology for what is now described as amplitude modulation. We know it better as the AM radio. You see, Reginald Fessenden was an inventor who discovered a way to utilize radio waves rather than cables or wires to transmit communication. At first, all that this could do was send Morse code signals. And so he experimented with this invention on ships up and down the northeast coast of the United States. This was just a small part of Fessenden's dream for this technology. He wanted to revolutionize communication. And so on Christmas Eve, 1906, after 36 months of toil working to make this invention better and stronger, with no press release, no media frenzy, Reginald Fessenden spoke these words into the radio. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. In the middle of the night, in the silence of the winter cold, 
Christmas Eve, 1906, Reginald Fessenden opened his Bible, and into the silence came the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. The very first words ever spoken on the radio. What an incredible moment. Can you imagine being a ship captain somewhere in the North Atlantic? You're listening for the distinctive taps of a Morse code transmission when all of a sudden a human voice starts speaking to you. You would be astounded. You're looking at this little box in rapt fascination. You're all alone on the high seas and someone is telling you a Savior has been born. Christ the Lord. A real voice. No one had ever heard anything like this before. The spoken word out of silence. Something completely new that would change the world forever. A message from God that brings hope. What a great opening line. Good news, great joy for all people. Communication between God and man. You see, in human history, until this point in Luke chapter 2, the way that God would communicate with his people was through various messengers, prophets. But there were misunderstandings. The message from God was not getting through. This word prophet carries a multitude of connotations, but defines simply a prophet is someone who brings communication from God to people. You see this throughout the Older Testament. God chooses a messenger. He gives this person a unique message or vision, and they in turn share it with people. That's the role of a prophet, communication between God and man. And among all of the prophets of the Older Testament, there was one who was looked to as the great prophet. Deuteronomy 34 declares Moses to be this person. And it makes sense. Moses is the one to whom God spoke through a burning bush. Moses is given the mission of bringing the people of God out of slavery in Egypt. He goes up the mountain and brings down the Ten Commandments. He sees the presence of God pass by. But here's what's truly interesting about Moses. Before he dies in his final writings in the book of Deuteronomy, God gives Moses a vision for the future. And God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything that I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words, that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. Moses says, another prophet is coming. And this prophet will be like no other. Because he will be the spokesman for God. It's as if God is saying, just wait. You haven't heard anything yet. Because this prophet will be God himself. In other words, there will be a transition from Morse code to a real voice. And so the people waited with hope for the arrival of this prophet. And they waited. And they waited. Between the Old Testament and the New, there were 400 years without a prophet. 400 years with no direct word from God. 400 years of silence. 
you can imagine a little boy reading the words of Scripture, asking his father, Dad, I've been reading about God, and I, I have to know, have you ever heard anything from God? And his father would reply, no, son, I've never heard anything from God. The boy would think for a second and then ask, what about Grandpa? Did he ever hear anything from God? No, son, your grandfather never heard anything from God. And neither did his dad, neither did his dad. Son, for a long time, no one has heard anything but silence. And if that were your situation, if you were that little boy, this revelation would most likely lead you to believe one of three things. Either God was dead, his troubling silence could be explained away by the fact that he was no more, or perhaps God was angry. He was so angry that he had finally given up on his people. Or maybe God just didn't have anything else to say. And into that silence came the most amazing sound. It was a baby crying that broke the silence of 400 years. Emmanuel, God with us. Communication from God to mankind. John 1.1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Another name for Jesus Christ is the Word, because in him this hope for direct communication with God is realized. In the moment of his birth, everything changed. It's as if all of the other prophets that had come before were simply dots and dashes, because in the person of Jesus Christ, we have the real and audible voice of God himself. No more confusion. No more Morse code. Here at Grace, we are in a season called Advent, a time of year that we spend in expectation of Christmas morning. And when we anticipate Christmas, we must begin to see Christ as more than just an infant child. It's important for us to see Jesus in each of his unique roles. And so today, we will be studying Jesus Christ, the prophet. Because Jesus grows up, and he goes on to teach about things that only he can communicate. Jesus defines spirituality for us in a way that is relatable and understandable, because he is both human and divine. The way in which he teaches is remarkable. He uses parables and proverbs, allusions to simple objects in everyday life. This makes his teaching living and active. When Jesus the prophet spoke, the people knew exactly what he was saying because he spoke with clarity, and more importantly, he spoke with absolute authority. So the people listened. They came from far and wide. They crossed rivers and lakes, and they climbed mountains to listen to his every word, to hang on to each and every one because they knew that what he was saying was significant. But is simply listening to the words of Jesus enough? Is that sufficient? Is that all that it takes? If you would turn in your Bibles to John 14, 23, Jesus says this about the words that he speaks. 
If you would, look for all of the personal pronouns that he uses, and we'll also show it up on the screens. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. But whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus has a great deal to say. Time and again, he emphasizes the importance of his words, and he always follows it up with, if you love me, then you'll do what I say. Don't just listen, but do. This is true of most of communication, isn't it? It's not just about listening to the words, it's about the actions that follow. If you told your child, go clean your room, and they returned an hour later and the room is still a mess, but they said, Mom, Dad, I thought about what you said and I memorized those words. Go clean your room. I could even say it to you in Greek if you want. As a parent, you might be impressed, but you're going to tell them, go do it. Actually clean your room. Or suppose your wife asks you to bring home a gallon of milk. You arrive, but without the milk. She asks you where it is, and you say, well, my friends and I got together after work, and we had this lengthy discussion about what it would look like if people actually brought home gallons of milk. And we're going to meet again next week, and we're going to study the intricacies of these words, gallon and milk. It should be fascinating. I've only been married for two years, so I'm by no means an expert, but I can assure you that that's not what my wife wants to hear. She just wants milk. And so you see, it's not just about listening to or even understanding the words. What matters is whether or not we act upon them. And when we're talking about the words of Jesus, we're not just talking about a shopping list or suggestions for life. Jesus is not just some coach trying to help with our running form or a music teacher offering lessons on a guitar. He's no mere tutor. Jesus Christ, the prophet, is the ultimate authority for how the human life ought to be lived in relation to God and to other people. Even well-known atheist Richard Dawkins, when asked about the actual teachings of Jesus, said that the way of living espoused by Jesus of Nazareth is without a doubt the greatest single, practical, moral philosophy ever presented. In other words, Jesus is the expert. So the question that we must ask is, do we listen to him? Of even more importance, do we obey what he says? Why might we turn a deaf ear towards the voice of God himself? What would keep us from clinging to the inconsistency of Morse code when we have a real audible voice. Why don't we do what the prophet tells us to do? The answer to that question is because following Jesus Christ, not just listening to, but doing what he says, is costly. When Jesus taught, he used plenty of either or statements. You either do this or you do that. You will either serve God or you will serve money. You can take the wide road that leads to destruction 
or follow the narrow path that leads to life, but you can't have it both ways. And far too often we try to grasp at both. But Jesus says, that is not an option. Because to follow me, there will be a cost. Because each and every one of us, consciously or subconsciously, we arrange our lives by ranking things in order of importance. The things that matter most to us, the people, we give a higher rung on our ladder. The things that matter less fill in the spaces in between. And these things are often fluid. They vary in degree of significance depending on life stage or finances, even time of year. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you give Jesus a rung on this ladder. But Jesus doesn't just want to be on the ladder. God will play second fiddle to no man or value. Jesus wants to be at the very top, to take over the entire thing. And so to follow Jesus will cost something. And that cost is often uniquely shaped in such a way that it is sharpened towards your particular bent away from God. Because Jesus knows the inner workings of our hearts. His words will often address us at the pressure point of our souls. You see this happen throughout the Gospels. And in Luke chapter 9, three different people approach Jesus. They've listened to his words. They want to follow him. And so he tells them the cost. Why don't we obey the words of the prophet? More than likely, we fall into one of these three categories. The first cost of obedience to Christ is the cost of comfort. Pursuing a lifestyle that is soothing to one's body is often damaging to the soul. Because comfort is all about me. The idol of comfort places my own contentment on the top of my ladder. And there is a hidden power there. Because comfort will still allow you to be a good person with a stable job and a happy family. The mantra of comfort is, I just want to be safe. I just want to be safe. And so you can pay your taxes, take care of your parents, give your kids the very best, and even recycle, while simultaneously being profoundly enslaved by the idol of comfort. An idol that makes peace, predictability, and safety its highest priorities. But too much comfort can warp a human soul. It can make a person selfishly introspective, constantly non-committal, abhorrent of anything impinging upon personal freedom. It's the idea, it's the pride of being in control of my own life and my own destiny. But to follow Jesus Christ means turning all of it, our lives, our finances, our five and our 10-year plans, all of it over to him. Jesus addresses comfort in Luke 9, 57 and 58. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus tells this man the cost. If you follow me, you will not always be comfortable. 
It may not always be safe, but it will be infinitely better for you than anything you could possibly imagine for yourself. Because the human soul would rather have Jesus than simply be comfortable. Jesus isn't finished yet. In verses 59 and 60, a second cost is addressed. Jesus actually calls out to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The man tells him, sorry, I already have something to do. I'm, I'm busy that day. Maybe we can reschedule. A second obstruction that keeps us from doing what the prophet tells us to do is our never-ending struggle with being busy. There are soccer matches and baseball games followed by dance recitals and driver's ed, and that's just Tuesday. And I'm not even a parent, so that sounds exhausting. There's work to be done on the kitchen, on the bathroom, on the car. The to-do list piles higher and higher while the desire to follow Christ sinks lower and lower. Our culture makes hotly effective people into heroes. And we find a majority of our identity in what we do. The more we produce, the better we feel about ourselves. And Jesus is telling us to stop. Just stop. Stop filling your lives with things for the sake of busyness. Jesus' response to this man is so direct, so blunt, Because Jesus knows that if he is not at the very top of this ladder, he will inevitably be squeezed down and ultimately out. If Jesus Christ is not the priority, he will slowly cease to be a priority at all. And so he is telling us to stop. Stop finding your identity in all of the things that you do and start finding your identity in what he has done. Jesus tells these two men the cost. For one, it is his comfort. For another, it's an identity. A third and final cost is addressed in these next two verses. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus, I would follow you, but. Jesus, I will follow you, but first. Simply put, this man is overconnected. He's overly attached to this world, specifically to his family. His request seems simple, even good and innocent enough. He just wants to go back and say goodbye. But immediately, Jesus knows that this man will never leave. He may talk about wanting to find God, to follow him, but not right now. He's got other things to worry about. He, he has to find out what his family might think. And after all, he likes his life. He doesn't want to change too much. But Jesus doesn't care about being a second love. In fact, five chapters later in Luke 14, Jesus will say that to follow him means hating your own family in comparison with your love for Christ. This man's ladder is not set up in a negative way. 
He has a high concern for those that he loves. But the, fo- the cost of following Jesus Christ means that there can be only one true love. There can be only one at the top. And Jesus knows that the moment this man turns his head, he will have already made his decision. Jesus, I would follow you, but. But what? What could be better? Each of these men listened to the words. They heard what the prophet had to say, but to obey proved too costly. Each one had a unique bent, not dissimilar from any one of us, comfort and identity and attachment to this world. These things, not necessarily sinful in and of themselves, may very well be what keep us from obeying the words of Jesus Christ. But why would we not want to trade anxiety and worry for peace? Why would we not exchange distance from God for closeness to him? And admit that this world has plenty of things that I want, but nothing that I need. What is it that keeps you from obeying the words of Christ? Ask yourself and examine your own life. Perhaps it's time to rearrange your ladder. Because if we seek to find joy in other ways, if Jesus is not in control of our lives, then we're looking in the wrong place. Because God cannot give us happiness. He cannot give us peace. God cannot give us joy apart from himself because it cannot be found there. There is simply no such thing. Jesus is the prophet. The word of God made flesh. He made us and he saves us. He desires the very best for us. We should be at the edge of our seats ready to listen. And there is no better time to start obeying than today. So I'd like to encourage us to spend some time this Christmas season with Jesus, to open the words of Scripture and let the words of the prophet speak into your life and into your soul. And what if they were no longer just words on a page? What if they were commands to obey? Last week, Matt challenged us to spend 15 minutes a day in the month of December reading the Bible. I'd like to tack on to that application and suggest that this week we read Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount. The teachings of Jesus Christ. The words of the prophet. Communication from God to man. In 1906, during that first radio broadcast, after Reginald Fessenden had finished reading Luke chapter 2, he set down his Bible, he picked up his violin, he drew back the bow and began to play. Reginald Fessenden, creator of the AM radio, was not only an inventor, he was also a classically trained musician. And so that night that he read the Christmas story, he also played the very first song ever transmitted on the radio. With no words, just instrumentally 
into the silence, he played, O holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. For long lay the world in sin and error, pining, until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The soul didn't feel its worth when it had a bunch of stuff or when there was enough money in the bank account. Nor did it feel its worth when its calendar was full of things to do or there were accolades added to its name. The soul didn't feel its worth when it was part of a large group of friends or had finally found the right job. No, the soul felt its worth when its eyes were open to the fact that God sent his son to speak grace and truth. Jesus Christ, the prophet, spoke. He broke into the silence, and he is still speaking today. Will you listen? And will you obey? Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to this earth to take on human flesh, to take the sin of all of us upon his shoulders, and to die so that we may live. Father, we pray that this day we would be a people who don't just listen to, but that we would also obey the words that you've given us. Allow us to hear you this Christmas season. Allow us to listen and obey. We love you and we praise you. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.